0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It was such a pleasure uh, this afternoon as I was doing the Vidi Aquam and sprinkling everybody for the last time during Eastertide to see the sea of red, uh, everyone getting into the Pentecost spirit. That was a wonderful thing. You know, every year we hear the same reading from the Acts of the Apostles about what happened to the disciples when tongues of flame danced above their heads on Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Now, there are two ways in which this passage has been interpreted. The first is that the apostles were all of a sudden given the gift of being able to fluently speak all kinds of languages that they never knew before, or that when they preached the gospel in their own language, everyone who heard them understood in his own language. It was kind of like being at the UN with no need for translators, which sounds like an awesome gift to have considering, you know, when mankind got all uppity uh, and tried to build larger than God, then we were punished with the gift of not being able to understand each other. Now, that interpretation is the one that has endured for most of church history. It was seen as an exceptional grace that was given to the early church to kind of kick-start the first evangelization. I'm sure that missionaries in later centuries wished they had the same grace when they entered new territories for the Christian message. Uh, In a couple of weeks, I'll be off to Turkey, and a significant amount of my time will be spent uh, poring over grammars and vocabulary books and being in language labs. Uh, So I certainly hope that that grace of Pentecost could be given to me. It would make my life a lot more easy, that's for sure. But either way, uh, this phenomenon seems to have never happened on that grand scale ever again. The second interpretation is that the apostles began to babble in weird noises that somehow glorified God, and that some individuals were especially enlightened by the Holy Ghost to interpret the meaning for others. It is an interpretation that comes up from time to time in history, First of all, with a very curious character called Montanus around the year 135 AD, who started running around saying that he was the Holy Spirit made flesh. So you can imagine what we think about that. It arose again most recently on Azusa Street in Los Angeles at a Pentecostal revival in 1906 and in Catholic circles at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh in 1967. This is important because one of the largest growing sections of Christianity in the world is Pentecostal Protestantism and Charismatic Catholicism. And this interpretation of Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost event, is becoming in many places more popular than the first one I mentioned, which has the benefit of at least being the one that has perdured throughout the ages. Now, you may not know this, but... The church has never given an official interpretation to this passage on what this speaking in tongues actually meant, so there is quite a bit of latitude for you to believe what you want about the matter. As a theologian, though, I do have some grave reservations about the whole speaking in tongues as babbling incoherently thing. because well, it's hard to see how that actually serves the spread of the good news of Christ. It also seems to be far from the classical spiritual tradition of the church, which urges us to test the spirits and to avoid anything that looks or sounds weird or extraordinary, because the chance is it could be just as easily from the evil one as from mental illness— but it can also be from God. But we have to be careful with these things. You know, very often I'll have someone who will come to see me and they want to uh, become more steeped in their faith, right? They want to be better Catholics. They want to be good Christians. But they're looking for all of these extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit, you know. They come and they want to feel some Holy Ghost power in their lives. And so they come to me as if I'm some kind of guru that's going to, you know, hook them up with Holy Ghost power. And they usually come in and I throw cold water on them, not literally, and say, did you wake up on time this morning? Okay. Did you ask for forgiveness from your spouse that you said that thing that you really wanted to say and you know you shouldn't have, but you did anyway? Did you do that? Okay. Are you growing in the life of the virtue? Oh, no, Father, I want to grow in the Holy Spirit. Well, then go and do those things. They're shocked by this. I don't know why they're shocked by this, but they are. So what are we to think about this passage? We can't ignore it if for no other reason, then sooner or later we're going to have someone in our life that has said that they have spoken in tongues or interpreted them. So I think searching for an answer is entirely appropriate. I found a very interesting attempt at another interpretation in one of the sermons of St. Anthony of Padua. I know that we all know who that is, the one we pray to when we lose something, right? Tony, Tony, come around, something's lost and got to be found. So, as I get older, he's very tired of hearing from me because I talk with him a lot. I'd lose my head if it weren't attached to my body. St. Anthony is one of the most beloved saints of all times. But a lot of his devotees do not realize that he was actually one of the greatest preachers of the Middle Ages. Of course, St. Anthony was a Franciscan, so he was a follower of St. Francis whose watchword was, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Preaching on this passage at Mass one Pentecost Sunday, he said, the man who is filled with the Holy Spirit speaks in different languages. These different languages are different ways of witnessing to Christ, such as humility, poverty, patience, and obedience. We speak in those languages when we reveal ourselves to others. Actions speak louder than words. And you've always wondered where that phrase came from. Well, it's straight from St. Anthony. He continues, "'Happy the man whose words issue from the Holy Spirit and not from himself.'" Our humble and sincere request to the Spirit for ourselves should be that we may bring the day of Pentecost to fulfillment, insofar as he infuses us by his grace, by using our bodily senses in a perfect manner, and by keeping the commandments. Remember that language is not just a matter of words whose meaning we either get or don't get. Language is a complex system of how we communicate, and that goes from the words we speak, to the gestures we use, to the way we smile at people, or sometimes just roll our eyes at them. Just as there are different modes of communication, as it were, there are different languages by which we communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. The point of the Acts reading, at least according to St. Anthony, isn't that you might magically one day be able to speak German, Russian, or Chinese without slogging away hours at Rosetta Stone or in Berlitz classes. Believe me, if that were possible, I would already have done it a long time ago. It also isn't that you'll go around making noises like barnyard animals that others in an ecstatic frenzy will claim that they understand. It's that the gospel is communicated in many forms that have nothing to do with those conventional signs called words. Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words of the Seraphic Father means that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. When you use all of the various modes of communicating the gospel, the world needs to hear. You know, it really is an incredible thing. We have so much noise around us. It's constant. You can't escape it. There's all kinds of tongues and voices and languages being thrown at us all the time, but it doesn't seem to give us much peace, does it? And then we kind of replicate those things as well, even sometimes without even realizing it. But what are the languages that people need to hear today and that we don't get nearly enough of? St. Anthony already told us, humility, poverty, patience, and obedience. And in an age which shows itself to be increasingly deaf to rational thought and calm argumentation, it is more necessary than ever. For us to learn those languages, or more importantly, the language of virtue. This is why this whole concept of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is so important. There are many Christians today who argue that this is a second kind of baptism, which comes as a life-changing emotional event to some few people. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some times in our lives in which we are deeply touched at an emotional and spiritual level in a profound way by the Holy Spirit. That is something that happens. But the word baptizion in Greek means to plunge, to immerse. The apostles had been baptized in water by John. And later, in a second moment, the Spirit came upon them. But those two moments, which were separate in the first five books of the New Testament, they're then united in the life of the church. In baptism, you and I are plunged into the life, passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. We are immersed into the indwelling of the Holy Spirit— Confirmation is not a second reception of the Spirit, but a strengthening of that baptismal plunging into the divine life for the purpose of sending you on mission. And this immersion is into the entire Trinity at one time, to the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. They are not separate, discrete moments in time when you get to have a relationship with the Father over here, and then maybe some Jesus time, and then the Holy Spirit maybe at some point afterwards, right? Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say things like, you know, me, God, and Jesus are good. And I'm like, oh, Lord, what are we doing, right? We're misunderstanding what the Trinity is, right? There are three different persons sharing one divine essence, but they're not different people as you and I are different people, right? Baptism fills you with the Holy Spirit, and it is in living your baptismal consecration as priest, prophet, and king that you manifest the gifts you've received to the world. So often people will come to church and they want to be able to feel the Spirit moving, And so if they don't feel the Spirit moving, they think that they're doing something wrong, right? Or that the church they're going to, well, that's not obviously a Spirit-filled church because I don't feel something. But here's the thing. You've already received the Holy Spirit. The only obstacle between the Spirit's action in your life is you. It's nothing else, If we truly live our consecration as priest, prophet, and king, then those gifts of the Spirit are unleashed to the world. And that is something which goes deeper than even the most profound emotion that we have. Now, there are moments in which we do feel at a deep level these things, which is great. And then there are moments in which we don't feel anything, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not doing what He's doing, because He knows what He's doing if you have an earnest desire to be baptized in the Spirit, that's a great desire. That's a wonderful thing. And I got good news for you. You already were on the day of your baptism, and that was strengthened in confirmation. All you have to do to speak in tongues, is not to try to channel the energy of the divine as if God could be called down by incantations and magic. If you see me speaking in tongues at the altar, then call 911 because something has obviously gone wrong. But if that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do, then let him do it, right? The Spirit blows where he wills. And he will do so in you when you learn again to speak the language of the virtues, those gifts of the Spirit that we learn about in Isaiah chapter 11. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord.